So Genesis chapter 30 is where we're at tonight. Again, before we get started, I think it'll be uh, great for us to just recap a little bit, do a little bit of a quick review. We've followed uh, Jacob to Padan Aram, to his uncle Laban's house. Last week we saw Jacob. He was agreeing with Uncle Laban for Rachel uh, to work seven years for Rachel. Laban was Rachel's uh, dad. And uh, so he agrees to work seven years for Rachel to marry her. And uh, it says in Genesis chapter 29, verse 20, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for him. And it's such a beautiful verse. You know what? Uh, it's such a beautiful verse regarding Jacob's love for Rachel. And, it's, and we also go on, it says, and at the end of the seven years, Jacob came to Laban and said, give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. So Jacob loves Rachel so much. I mean, he's counting the days. And Laban says, okay, hey, let's throw a big party. Let's get a lot of guests. You know, we'll get you married up, Jacob. You know, it's going to be great. And, uh, and this is where we see the deceiver becomes the deceived. Uncle Laban pulled the old switcheroo and substituted Leah for Rachel. Genesis 29, verse 25. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he, Jacob, said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? Why uh, was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Laban uh, says, in essence, darn, Jacob, didn't I tell you, man? It must, must have slipped my mind. I'm so sorry. We have a custom in our country and the younger is never to be given in marriage before the older. You see, Jacob, we respect the firstborn in our country. But I tell you what I'm going to do, just for you, for you only, uh, if you'll work for me another seven years, you can have Rachel too. I mean, what do you say, Jake? And uh, as we commented last week, you could uh, just write over this chapter the title, What You Sow Is What You Reap. And it's so true. Jacob deceives his father. Now he's being deceived by his father-in-law. Jacob lied about being the firstborn. Now he's being lied to about the firstborn. And this just goes on and on and on. And Laban says to Jacob, if you'll agree to work for me another seven years, I'll give you Rachel too. Jacob agrees, and he gets Rachel too. The problem is that Jacob loves Rachel, but he doesn't love Leah. God sees that Leah is unloved and shows her just a tremendous amount of grace and mercy. He opens her womb, and she starts producing children for Jacob, while uh, God withholds children from Rachel. And we saw last week Leah was naming her kids according to the hurts that she was experiencing, the pain she was feeling at the time. And the name of her firstborn was Reuben, which means see a son. Her thought was, I've given my husband a son. Now maybe, you know, he'll love me. Her second son was named Simeon, which means hearing. And Leah had cried out to the Lord regarding her situation, how she was unloved. And God gives her another son and says, God has heard my prayers. Then she bears Jacob a third son. His, his name is Levi, which means joined or attached. 
And it seems that at this point, you know, Leah's given up, you know, on being loved by Jacob. You know, she's just hoping for some meaningful attachment uh, between herself and Jacob. Um, her fourth son is Judah. Judah means praise. Again, it's as if Leah's given up ever having a loving relationship with Jacob. Uh, and she stops naming her sons after these painful realities in her life. Now she turns to God and names her fourth son praise, as if to say, you know, I'm going to praise the only one who does love me in this situation of mine. And then the last verse of Genesis 29, after Leah's fourth son, we read, then she stopped bearing. And now we pick up uh, chapter 30, verse 1. It says, now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob, no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. And this is what we see here is the result of polygamy. You know, uh, people who produce these shows like Sister Wives, um, Three Wives, One Husband, My Five Wives, and I Googled, I Googled polygamy shows, and there's a whole list of them. It's ridiculous. But these people that produce these shows would like us to think that polygamy is just, you know, it's just another lifestyle. It's just, it's okay. But the problem is the Bible says it's a sin and there are consequences to sin. And Rachel grows envious of Leah here. I mean, now she's envious. And as a result, she may be talking about, I mean, some belief. She's talking about suicide here where she says, give me kids lest I die. And uh, what happens so often is, you know what? We want what we want, when we want it. That's all we want. And if we don't get it when we want it, you know, there's going to be consequences. There's problems. What we should be doing, what they should be doing, is getting their eyes off of what God is doing in the other person's life and getting their eyes on Him, placing their faith in Him, trusting in Him, resting in Him, and waiting for Him to move on um, their behalf in his perfect timing. In verse 2, it says, Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel, and he said, am I in the place of God? Who has uh, withhold from you, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Jacob says to Rachel, just in the heat of the moment, why are you angry with me? Am I God? I can't give you kids. And by the way, you know, the problem isn't me. Leah and I are pumping out kids right and left. So, you know, go figure. And uh, instead of Getting angry with Rachel, Jacob should have responded the way his dad responded back in Genesis 25. Remember Genesis 25, 21, Jacob's father Isaac was in a similar situation. His wife was also barren. And you might recall when we studied Isaac's life, how he started out strong, but then he finished poorly. And uh, his walk with the Lord had cooled and faded over time. And, you know, just a side note real quick, that's a real danger for all of us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, such a strong warning. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. We're either growing in our relationship with the Lord or we're backsliding. You know what? There's, it's impossible to be a static Christian. There's no standing still as a Christian. We're growing going forward or we're backsliding, going backwards. But back in Genesis 25, 21, now it says, now Isaac 
pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Man, that's such a great example of a husband uh, just interceding for his wife, just pleading with the Lord for his will in her life. And uh, in this case, it was because she was barren, and the Lord heeded those prayers uh, of Isaac. And you know what? My question is, men, are you lifting your wives up before the Lord? You know, we need to. Our wives need it. And uh, guys, you know, I'd encourage all of us that we would just be those men of prayer that are lifting our wives up to the throne of grace, lifting our kids up. I just, let's be men of prayer. But what a contrast this is between Isaac and Jacob. Isaac prayed for his wife. Sadly, we don't see that in Jacob. Jacob just gets angry, angry with Rachel instead of praying with her. And I think that we can make the same mistake. Instead of just stopping and praying together, you know, I think it's so effective. You just, just grab your wife's hand and you just pray for her, pray with her. It's hard to yell when you're holding somebody else's hand. You, know, you just grab her hand, just begin praying. You know, instead of just praying together and calling on the Lord, you know, we get angry with one another. And then the argument ensues. You know, it's just... It's not worth it. Verse 3, so she said, here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. Then she gave him Bilhah, her maid, as wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. And again, this was an acceptable practice in the days. Uh, if you read up on it, I mean, it's, it's yeah, I'm not going to tell you what it's like, but it's not, it's not a good practice. But the way it worked out is because Jacob was Rachel's legal husband, the son uh, of the husband would legally belong to Jacob and Rachel when Rachel gives her handmaiden to Jacob. The problem is the practice just isn't acceptable to God. God's word's very clear. Genesis 2.24 a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, not wives. So just as we saw Abraham get caught up in this mistake of the culture, now we're seeing Jacob get caught up in the same mistake. In verse 6, then Rachel said, God, judged, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called uh, his name Dan. And Rachel names his son Dan. It means judged. Verse 7, And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Jacob just continues to repeat this practice of sin. He just starts this habit. And man, it just takes him. And yeah, he's just along for the ride. Verse 8, Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. And Naphtali means my wrestling. And what we see here is that this is now, the situation is now just devolved into nothing more than a competition between two sisters to see who could produce the, the most amount of sons for Jacob. And, you know, it's kind of funny to me. You know, my daughter just had a baby. You guys know that. But, uh, you know, I think that the average woman after having one child without any drugs, would say, okay, you win. You know, just knock yourself out. You know, I don't know. 
Uh, anyway, verse 9. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, and her sister Rachel now is catching up, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife. Leah's like, you know, I see what you did there. You know, you gave Jacob your handmaid. You know what? Two can play that game. So she gives Jacob her maid. And you don't see Jacob complaining uh, at all in any of this. I mean, it's just such a mess. And the fact is that there's a real lack of spiritual oversight here in his home. There's no prayer. There's no family altar. You know, there seems to be no uh, spiritual leadership whatsoever. There's just absolutely no spiritual leadership at all that comes from Jacob. And this is just going to get worse and worse because he won't stand up and stand for the right thing. Over, over time, Jacob, he's just going to become a pawn um, in this fight between these two women because he just refuses to take spiritual control of his family the way that he should, the way that God intends uh, men to in their, in their home. Verse 10, And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, A troop comes. So she called his name Gad. And Gad means a troop. She's either saying that she has a whole troop of kids at this point, or she expects a troop of kids to be coming um, in naming uh, Gad a troop. Right? So verse 12, And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I'm happy for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. And Asher means happy or blessed. Now, Reuben, and you want to remember, Reuben was the firstborn of Leah. Now, Reuben went out in the days of the harvest and found mandrakes in the field. So as you piece this story together, Reuben's about six or seven years old at this point, And he's gone out into the field and he's found uh, these plants, they're wild plants, and they happen to be mandrakes. And mandrakes are, um, you know, we're told at this time they were viewed as an aphrodisiac. They were called love apples. That's the name of mandrakes in Hebrew, love apples. And they were supposedly supposed to increase a person's sexual desire. And they were also thought to help women who had uh, infertility issues. It was a superstition, but that's what they believed in those days. And Reuben brought them to his mother Leah. So Reuben, he went out into the field. He finds these mandrakes. You know, they have flowers on them. You know, he's just a little kid. He doesn't know what they are. He brings the flowers back to his mom. And Rachel knew what they were and said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. Leah says, you know, you have Jacob's heart. Isn't that enough for you? You know, now you want my mandrakes too? And Rachel says, listen, Leah, you know what? He's going to choose me over you every single night. You know what? If you just give me the mandrakes, I'll let you have him tonight. So she gives him... She says, you know, give me the mandrakes. I'll give you the man for the night. Uh, this hostility between these two girls, man, it's just so obvious, and it's just painful uh, as you think about it. And it must have been extremely uncomfortable, to say the least, living in this house. 
I mean, can you imagine being invited over for dinner with these two and sitting down at the dinner table? I mean, uh, talk about awkward, huh? Verse 16, when Jacob uh, came out of the field in the morning, Leah went out to meet him and said, Jake, you must come in to me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes, and he lie with her tonight. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Rachel has the mandrakes, but it's Leah that's getting pregnant. And uh, Leah is pregnant because and only because this is the sovereign will of God. The, this family, it's just crazy to see him scheming and manipulating, working in the flesh to try to make things happen. You know, it's just a recipe for frustration, regret, and wasted time. Every time we try to work things out in the flesh, that's just what's going to happen. There's going to be frustration. There's going to be regret. And it's just wasted time. Rachel is picking up now these habits from her husband instead of going to the Lord in prayer and, and seeking his heart. In verse 18, Leah said, God has given me my wages because I've given my maid to my husband. So she called uh, this son, she called his name uh, Issachar, and Issachar means higher. Then Leah conceived and, and uh, conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. The name uh, Zebulun, it means dwelling. She names him Zebulun, uh, thinking, you know, now my husband's going to dwell with me. And you know, it just breaks my heart, man. My heart just breaks for Leah. All she wants is for her husband to love her, to live with her. And she, she hopes that the more sons that she can produce, that that's going to turn Jacob's head, that's going to turn his heart towards her. Verse 21, after she bore, afterwards she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. And we're going to get to the life of Dinah in a few weeks if you want to read ahead. Genesis 34 is where you learn about uh, Dinah. But I think it's worth noting here, six of the sons of Jacob, which eventually will become the 12 tribes of Israel, six of them come from Leah. And verse 32 says, then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her. You know, what does that mean? Does it mean that God listened to her cries or she's crying her eyes at, out at night? Does it mean that uh, he listens to her anguish? Or does it mean that Rachel now just begins to cry out to the Lord and God now hears her prayers? You know, we're not told. I hope it is that she's praying. It's sad because all too many times, uh, most people wait until things get unbearable until they pray. Prayer is a last resort for most people. You know, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. And what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there troubles anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Boy, is that just so true. Such a powerful, powerful song. 
It says, then God remembered Rachel. Don't think that God forgot Rachel. God never forgets us. It's impossible for God to forget us. The Bible says, Isaiah 49, 15, 16, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. You know, maybe there is a terrible mom out there that will forget her nursing baby. I mean, my little grandson now, he's, there's no way my daughter's going to forget him. It's just ridiculous, you know? Uh, but maybe there is such a terrible woman out there that she would forget her son, but not God. He cannot forget you. It may seem uh, like sometimes he does forget you, right? But every time he looks down at his hands, he sees your name. And if you're a child of God, he looks upon your name with just such love and such tenderness. And if you're not a child of God, you know what? He looks upon your name with longing, with deep longing in his heart because he, he longs to bring you into a right relationship so that you would enjoy his presence in your life. When we read the Bible, when we read in the Bible, you know, God remembered, in this case, Rachel, or God remembered this or that. You know, it's just poetic language. And what it means is that this is the time now that God is just going to begin to work in Rachel's life. He never forgot her. Sometimes God's timing just feels like, you know, is he ever going to start that work, you know, in that area or this area of my life? Is he ever going to come through in my life? You know, oftentimes it's just an issue of timing for all of us. And God's timing is usually not our timing. You know, I think now is the right time for you to move God. Um, but our loving Heavenly Father, He knows best. And uh, He sees behind the scenes. He sees the bigger picture. And He moves when it is best for us. He's never too soon, but He's never late. He's never too soon, but He's never late. I love that about the Lord. I can't think of anything more painful, you know, any situation that's more painful than maybe wanting children or not being able to have children. For God's sovereign purposes and for his sovereign reasons, he's decided to delay giving uh, Rachel children up to this point. And when we, what we do learn very clearly from this chapter is God is sovereign over childbearing. And I just love that. I mean, it's not my notes, but it's Psalm 127. It just says, you know, the fruit of the womb is, I think it says a reward or a blessing from the Lord. Um, my kids, tremendous blessing to Tina and I, as well as your kids too, I'm sure. You know, I don't think you can explain it away. God is sovereign. God is sovereign over childbirth. And it can be so very painful when somebody wants a child and you can't have them. But God has this plan. God has a plan. God has a plan on giving Rachel children it's been his plan all along. There's Joseph and Benjamin that's coming to Rachel. Joseph will be the one who saves the entire Jewish race. And this has been God's plan from the very beginning. It's to give Rachel children. It's just not the right time. God's sovereign timing and his sovereign purposes, for whatever reason they are, you know, God has chosen not to give Rachel uh, kids up to this point. Well, why would he do that? Why would he wait? 
Well, the answer, obviously, is we don't know. But, you know, Rachel was a beautiful woman. You know, uh, says she was beautiful in, in face and form. And, she, you know, Jacob was willing to work seven years for her. And then when it didn't work out, he's willing to work another seven years for her so he could marry her. You know, maybe it was possible that Rachel, she just grew prideful, you know, knowing how long Jacob was willing to work for her. Maybe she grew prideful knowing that Jacob wouldn't be willing to work even one day for Leah. You know, it's possible that maybe God is humbling her. Yeah, it's possible. We just don't know. Later, we're going to read that she's an idolater. You know, maybe God was trying to deal with her idolatry, trying to get her to cry out to him as the one true and living God. I mean, it's possible. Maybe that's what it means when it says that God listened to her. She finally got to the point where she cries out to the God of Jacob. We don't really know. <clears throat> it, just, uh, it could just be that God, in his omniscience and his sovereign purpose, is just waiting to give her kids for some reason unknown to us. Uh, verse 22, Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. Joseph means added. And she speaks this in faith, that God shall add to her another son. I mean, she's speaking this in faith, you know, uh, saying God's going to add to her, give her another son. You know, I'm not just going to have one son. God's going to give me another son. You know, it's just a beautiful statement of faith. Uh, you know, unshakable faith in God is always a beautiful thing. When you see that in somebody's life, it's just so, so great to see. If you wanted to, you could jump ahead to Genesis 35 and read about the 12th son born to Jacob uh, through Rachel. His name is Benjamin. Benjamin means son of my right hand, son of my strength. These boys will become the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's through the 12 tribes of Israel that the Messiah will come into the world. And you know what? It's time to just stop and think now. Man, isn't it incredible as you read through this chapter to realize these boys are going to be the 12, sons of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob? And the Messiah is going to come through this polygamous relationship. I mean, what grace, huh? What incredible grace that God would bring the Messiah into the world through this family. And talk about undeserving. I mean, it's just amazing grace. And it doesn't stop there. You go a little bit farther, farther you read about Judah. Judah is the tribe through whom the Messiah does come through. And Judah is going to have an incestuous relationship with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. And it's through their son that the Messiah will come through, through this illegitimate son. And it doesn't stop there. Rahab the harlot, she's going to get saved and she's going to marry into uh, the line that the Messiah comes from. Then you come to Ruth. Oh my goodness. You know, she wasn't even a Jew. She was a Moabitess. And you'll remember, if you don't know, you remember that the Moabites, they came from wicked Lot, right? He was backslidden. He was in the cave. He was drunk. 
And he had sexual relations with his firstborn, and they named that child Moab. And if that wasn't enough, man, there's just more. Bathsheba, she commits adultery with David, and their son becomes part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's just such an amazing story how God just is showcasing. He keeps painting this picture of his amazing grace, unrelenting grace in this chapter. He keeps showing us that it's all about his grace. He's his amazing, wonderful grace. And it's grace that's shouting out to us. You know, when you consider that the, the Messiah comes through this family, through this situation, through the marriage of these wives, plural, you know, it's almost too much to take in. And God is so very gracious, isn't he? I mean, it's amazing. It's also very interesting to consider why the Holy Spirit has chosen to give us the name of all of Jacob's son, sons and what their names mean, right? We've been given uh, the meanings of most of his sons, if not all of them, and it's here we just see this incredible picture of the gospel, but what we also see is we see this prophetic picture of the life of the believer. Reuben, again, it means see a son, and that's what exactly the gospel says. Behold the son, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Open your eyes and see the son. Where Reuben means see a son, Simeon means hearing, and the Bible says, Incline your ear and come unto me, and hear, and your soul shall live. And of course, uh, the New Testament says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So first it's see a son, behold the son, and as we hear the word of God, faith comes by hearing, and then the third son is Levi, and it means joined. As you behold the son, as faith comes by hearing the word of God, you put your faith in the Son, then you become joined to Jesus Christ as his bride. Then the next Son was Judah, which means praise. And once you've seen the Son, you place your faith in the Son, you become joined to the Son as his bride. The Scriptures say that there is praise that comes uh, from our lips. Psalm 40, verse 2 and 3. He also brought me out of a horrible pit. I mean, this is my testimony. And he set my feet upon the rock and established my steps. He's put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Many will see the praise coming from our lives, coming from our mouths, as we just uh, open our mouths and pray a praise to the Lord. And they'll place their faith in the Lord, resulting in salvation, that, that psalm says. You know, I wonder if there's anybody... Uh, here tonight, anybody watching online tonight that sees us praising the Lord and you know that it's just not there in, in your heart. And you know the Lord, but you know there's a piece of your heart that you've held back. You know, you've kept, you've kept it for yourself and it's kept you from being completely joined to the Lord. And you know that the praise is just not there in your heart the way it should be. You know, my encouragement would be for whoever's listening, whoever's watching, is that you take care of that issue tonight. Please, don't, don't let another minute pass before you ask God to forgive you. Well, Judah means praise, and the next son is Dan, and Dan means judged. 
And of course, Jesus was judged there at the cross of Calvary in our place. And there's no greater reason to praise and to understand that our sins were placed upon him. He bore our penalty and he was judged in our place. And the next son is Naphtali, which means my wrestling. And once you behold the son, once you place your faith in the son and you're joined to him, there's this outpouring of praise in your heart as you grow in your understanding of, of what Jesus has accomplished for you on Christ. And then, the, then there's just this natural wrestling that begins uh, to go on inside of you. It's a natural wrestling of what, you know, uh, is the will of God for us in our lives. We just begin to wrestle. It's just this natural progression of the gospel working in our lives. And, you know, if we were all to sit around a circle, um, you know, tonight, and we went around the circle, all of us could share about things that we're wrestling with the Lord in regards to wrestling with an understanding what God's will is for our life. Again, it's just a natural progression in our walks as believers. Then Gad means a troop or a company, and it speaks of us as fellow Christians, right? We're part of the same troop. We're part of the same company of believers. And how we are involved in a warfare that is very real. And as we grow in Christ, you begin to realize that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And that our, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And then after... Gad comes Asher, which means happy or blessed. And when you consider that you're engaged in a very real warfare, and at times it's, it's not easy being a Christian, you realize as a believer how blessed you are to be part of the people of God, how blessed we are to be saved. And those two things go hand in hand. Warfare and blessing, the cross and the crown, you know, very real battles, dark clouds, difficult situations, difficult seasons of life. Then you realize at the same time how blessed we are just to be the people of God, to be part of that troop, to be part of the family of God. And then comes Asher, which means wages. And it speaks of how the, we're the Lord's servants. And one day our master is going to return and we're must give an account, uh, settle accounts with him. We must give an account to our master about the business that we've been involved in to expand his kingdom when he comes. And when he comes, the Bible says that he personally will reward each and every one of us for our service to him. Boy, how great is that going to be? To look our Savior in the eye as he just pours out a reward gives you your wages that you don't deserve. Then there's Zebulun, which means dwelling. And Zebulun reminds us of, of Paul's prayer for the Ephesians church, the Ephesian church, Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And isn't that an interesting prayer that Paul would pray over a church of believers? I mean, you would think that he would pray that over unbelievers. But what he's talking about was that Christ, he's praying that Christ would be at home 
in their heart. That's what dwelling means, to, means to be at home. That's what Paul's praying, that Christ would be at home in their lives. And you've got to ask yourself when you're doing these studies, man, is Christ at home in my life? Is he at home in your heart? You know, are there things that are grieving him? Are there things that need to be dealt with? Are there things in, in your life that are bothering him that he's not comfortable around? And again, please, do business with the Lord tonight. Don't leave here or don't go to bed tonight without doing business with the Lord, without settling things that the Spirit is speaking to your heart. Zebulun means dwelling, and it reminds us how Christ is to be at home in our hearts and lives. Then there's Joseph, which means added. And it spoke of another son that's going to be added to the family. And it speaks of an anticipation of a yet future blessing added to us. We're to live with the expectation of future blessings in our lives in eternity. Then the last of all is Benjamin, which means son of my strength or son of my right hand. It begins with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. It begins with see a son and it ends with son of my strength. Jesus is the first and he's the last. He's the beginning. He's the end. And so you see this gospel. is so beautiful when you see it, the gospel and this prophetic picture of a believer's life in the names of Jacob's son in just an incredible way. And I don't think this is an accident. I don't think Moses was just like writing these things down or these names just happened by accident. You know, I think it was the Holy Spirit that's hiding this gem in the midst of this dark, dysfunctional family. Here is this glorious message of grace and hope recorded in the darkness of this family. And it's such a blessing to see things that are hidden in the Word waiting for us just to mine them out. And it's just so, so fruitful for us when we just spend time digging into God's Word. Verse 24, So she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. This is the first time that we see Rachel mentioning the Lord, all caps, Jehovah. If you flip back to Genesis 29, you see Leah speaking of the Lord in verse 32, verse 33, and verse 35. And it would appear that Leah has this relationship with the Lord. It would appear that she's in some way, some, some form, a believer, where Rachel didn't, doesn't seem to believe, be a believer again. You know, maybe she's just a nominal believer, but she has issues with idolatry. And you know, the sad thing is Jacob just missed it. He just missed it altogether. He looked at the outward beauty. And it's true that Leah was a physical second to her sister, but she possessed a beauty, a greater inner beauty that Rachel didn't have, at least up to this point. You know, it reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you guys know, you know Pastor Romaine? You guys ever hear about Pastor Romaine? Pastor Romaine was Chuck's number two guy. And Pastor Romaine, I mean, he was an ex-drill sergeant, Marine Corps drill sergeant. And uh, he was, I don't know, I think maybe I'm being generous by saying he was 5'8". And he had these Popeye arms, these Popeye forearms, you know? And he was a tough guy. You know, he was the kind of guy that said, you know, I love all my friends, I just don't have any. 
You know, I mean, when I was a young Christian, I got counseling from Romaine, and he just said, don't waste my time, read your Bible. I'm like, oh, okay, you know. And then the next time, next time I needed some counseling, I called up Calvary. Oh, I need some counseling, you know, I'm crying. Okay, we'll set you up with an appointment. Well, who's the appointment with? Romaine. Oh, just read my Bible. <laughs> I mean, but I remember Romaine. I mean, Romaine's just a great guy. And I remember after his, uh, he said after his wife died, he looked into her Bible and saw all the notes that she had taken. And he said with tears in his eyes, I had no idea what a spiritual giant my wife was. And uh, Romaine's encouragement to us guys would be to be in the Word with your wives. You know, to be praying with your wives, to be seeking the Lord together so we wouldn't miss out on the insights that our wives bring to the table in regards to their relationship with the Lord. And, it, and you know what? Romaine didn't want us men to regret it later after our wives died like he did. You know, and I'll tell you, Tina and I, we pray a lot. We pray a lot together. And I, I don't spend enough time with her, though, in the Word. I honestly don't. It's something I need to work on. And I just encourage us as men of this church and anybody that may be listening, you know, that we, we should purpose in our hearts to make changes if changes are needed in this area. Verse 25, And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. And this is an important verse. We're going to refer back to it next week, uh, Lord willing. But Jacob has a family. He has 11 sons. And uh, he's beginning to feel stirred. It's time to go. I've been here 14 years. And remember his mom, boy, you know what? His mom sent him away just for a few days. Just until, you know, Esau's anger cooled down a little bit. And now it's been 14 years and he has this desire to go home. He's being stirred and he feels strongly that this is the time to go back. He may be sensing a need to reconnect with the promised land, you know, where his heritage and his future lies. And this desire to return to the, Lord, uh, to the land is no doubt, you know, from the Lord. You know, it's the Lord that's stirring him. Verse 26, Jacob says, Give me my wives and my children for whom I've served you and let me go. For you know my service which I've done for you. And Laban said to him, Please, stay. If I found favor in your eyes, I've learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Now, what a picture of the gospel that is, isn't it? Pagan, unbelieving Laban being blessed for the sake of Jacob, for the sake of another. I mean, if that's not the gospel, I don't know what it is. We were pagan, unbelieving Laban, and we've been blessed for the sake of another, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Verse 28, then he said, name your wages and I'll give it. Laban says, name your price, I'll pay it. Man, it's time for you to get a raise. Just stay here with me. And remember the last time, remember what happened the last time Laban said to J Jacob, just name your price, right? 
Last time he said that, Jacob ended up with Leah in a dark tent. And uh, Jacob's a little more smarter now. Jacob's learned a few things over the last 14 years with Uncle Laban. But an offer like this is hard for Jacob to pass up, even though there's a stirring in his heart to return to the land. And let's not be too hard on Jacob until we look in the mirror. Uh, How many times in your lives has God told you to move on, to take a step of faith, to trust him, you know, to come back to the place I spoke to you long ago, calling you back to a first love. Then all of a sudden, something in your daily life, you know, raises up and says, name your price, just stay here with me. I know if, if you think the Lord is leading, I know you think the Lord is leading, but, but if you'll just stay here with me, I'll give you what you want, you know? And it's going to cost Jacob to stay. It always costs us something in more ways than one to not follow the call of God on our lives. Verse 29, so Jacob said to him, you know how I have served you and how your livestock has been with me. For what you had before I came was little and it has increased a great amount that uh, the Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now, when shall I provide for my own house? Jacob is saying, look, you're blessed, right? But I got four wives. I got 11 boys. You know, who knows how many girls uh, Jacob has at this time? He says, I think it's time for me to start caring for my own family and look after their future. And in verse 31, so he said, what shall I give you? This is Laban talking, and Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. So Jacob says, if you recognize this, if you recognize Laban, God's blessing upon your life because of me, then let me have things this way. I don't want anything from you, but if you'll do this for me, then I'll stay with you. Let me pass through all your flocks today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep, all the brown ones among the lambs, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and these shall be my wages. So who gets the speckled, the streaked, and the brown sheep? Jacob. Jacob. That's what he wants for his wages. The purebred sheep, they're all white. The purebred goats, they're all black. And he says what he wants is you give me all of those that are something less than pure breeds, and that would be my wage. In verse 33, he says, so my righteousness will answer for me in a time to come. When the subject of my wages comes before you, everyone that is not speckled or spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it's with me. So Jacob's thinking ahead. He's, he's learned how, how Laban thinks. So he's protecting himself. And Laban said, oh, that it were according to your word. I mean, Laban, he can't believe his ears right now. I mean, he probably thinks Jacob probably got hit in the head with a rock or something like that. Uh, Laban says, let me get this straight. You want the speckled, spotted, and streaked goats and sheep? You know, actually in a flock, there's very few of those, right? Uh, The majority would be right. But Laban says, you're kidding me, right? You know, Laban thinks he has Jacob right where he wants him. And he says, 
Well, okay, then let it be according to your word. And now we see typical Laban. Verse 35, so he, Laban, removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had some white in it and all the brown ones among the lambs, and gave them to, into the hand of his sons. Laban gives all the, the speckled, spotted, streaked sheep and goats to his boys. Then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. So Laban takes out all the speckled, streaked, spotted sheep and goats, gives them to his sons. And then his sons take those animals three days' journey away from uh, Jacob to put some distance between them. And then Laban says, okay, Jacob, you got it. You can have all the speckled, streaked, spotted sheep and goats, but you have to start with all white sheep and black goats. I mean, Laban... <laughs> He probably walks away thinking, what an idiot Jacob is. And then verse 37, then Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of the almond and chestnut trees, peeled white stripes in them and exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs where the uh, flocks come to drink so that they should conceive when they came to drink. So Jacob, he takes the limbs of these trees, he peels the bark uh, off of them, and now they're streaked, and he puts them in the watering troughs where the sheep and the goats uh, go and drink. Verse 39, so the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face towards the streaked and all the brown in the flock of Laban. But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. Now, again, this is typical Jacob here. You know, he has this plan. He has this plan, these, these ways that he's intending to manipulate the situation. He's going to make things happen. And we've seen this in the past of Jacob. It's just a really bad habit that God's going to be breaking out of him quite soon. God wants to bless Jacob, but Jacob tries to get that blessing in the strength, in his own strength, in his own power, in his own understanding. He's trying to make this thing come about. You know, it's his plan, his schemes, his way, his timing. No thought of the Lord. No mention of the Lord. Verse 41, and it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters, that they may conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger were Jacob's. So he's engaging in basically a selective breeding program. Jacob, you know, he wants to come out with this, the livestock that are going to be stronger and stronger and stronger. While Laban's livestock, they're getting weaker and weaker and, and weaker with time. Now, the reality is the rods in the trough, right, they have nothing to do with anything. You know, it's just a, a fable, maybe an old wives' tale. It has nothing to do with the outcome. It was all God that was blessing Jacob, period, in the story, in spite of himself. In verse 43, thus the man became exceedingly prosperous 
and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. God blesses Jacob, but it's not because Jacob was anything or because Jacob did anything. Right? It's not about Jacob. It's because of the promises that God made to Jacob back in Genesis 28, 13 through 15, and because of the covenant God had made with Abraham. In the same way, in the exact same way, blessings come from the Lord to us, not because of what we've done or who we are. You know, I I won't say it about you, but I'll say it about me. I'm a nobody. You know what? I'm less than a nobody. You know? We need to understand that God deals with us in the light of a better covenant, the Bible says. As believers, there's a better covenant, and it's the covenant in the blood of his son. It's a superior covenant to what he made with Abraham. And it's relevant to Abraham's covenant because the promise of the seed that would go forth and bring blessing uh, to all the nations of the world Again, is the, the Messiah. And, it's, and we walk in a better light. You know what? Abraham never looked up to heaven and said, Abba, Father. He looked up to heaven and he said, Lord. Or he said, El Shaddai. But the Bible declares that he's put the spirit of his son in our hearts so that we can cry, Abba, Father. I mean, imagine for a moment. Imagine that, well... Only one of my boys is here tonight. So imagine Brian dies. And his spirit moves into your heart. And you hear my son's voice in your heart. And you come and you tell me about it. And as you're telling me about it, I sense my son's spirit in your life. And that's exactly what happens when we look to heaven and we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit of Christ cries out through us, Abba, Father. Galatians 4, 6 says, you and I are recipients of a better covenant. He's promised to bless us. He's promised to keep us. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. He's promised that one day he'll come again and receive us to himself, that we would ever be with him. And we have the same promises in this world that he gave Abraham We have the same promises that he gave Jacob, but our promises that we possess are much better. They're more specific. They're more secure because they're based on a better covenant, and that covenant is the blood of his son, the blood of Jesus Christ. And anybody that is listening tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ tonight, if you're not a part of the family of God tonight, and you know if you are, you're, you're not. But if you're not, I would encourage you to bow your knee, to humble your heart, and to ask Jesus to come into your life, to forgive you of your sins, to forgive you of the wrongs that you've done. And I'd encourage you, name them one by one. Lord, forgive me for, and then forgive me for, forgive me for. Ask Jesus to come into your life to save you, to fill you with your Holy Spirit, with his Holy Spirit. Ask him to give you the power to walk with him, to live for him. Ask him for the confidence that he gives to believers 
that if you were to die tonight, you would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you would be with him in heaven. If you'll ask him with sincerity in your heart to forgive you, he'll respond to you and he'll wash you, cleanse you, make you a new creation, make you his son. He'll accept you as you are. He'll save you. He doesn't turn anyone away. He accepts everybody that comes to him in faith. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for your word today. And Lord, I just pray that Lord, you just be moving mightily in our hearts, Lord. Thank you for the, the promises, the covenant that we have in Christ. Thank you that we've been washed from our sins, washed in the blood of your Son, born again, able to cry out, Abba, Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for your goodness and grace towards us, Lord. We give you praise. In your name we pray. Amen.